Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. If you're just heading into work or have to move on with your day, you don't have to miss out on the conversation here on Detroit Today. You can go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today, and you can take us with you. Listen whenever you are ready. A little later in the show, we are going to have a conversation about the effect of the tax plan that still might pass in Washington, what would it do to programs like Medicare and Medicaid here in Michigan? Also, we'll talk about what it will do to the popular government children's health care plan. Uh, one of the things that we are not talking as much about right now is the effect of that tax break, that real dramatic restructuring of taxes in this country on the most vulnerable. So we're going to do that starting at about 25 after the hour. But first, Republicans in Congress could send President Trump that major tax overhaul this week. Leaders in the U.S. House hope to hold a vote today on a compromise bill with the Senate plan, and the Senate could vote as soon as tomorrow on that legislation. It includes major tax breaks for corporations, which would be permanent, and it includes tax breaks aimed at the middle class, which are set to expire after several years. It would also blow a pretty big hole in the federal deficit, more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Is there anything standing in the way of this bill reaching the president's desk before the end of the year? And is there anything that we should be thinking about in terms of how to stop that bill. Joining us now to talk about uh, that issue is Senator Gary Peters, a Democrat from right here in the state of Michigan. Senator, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, great to be with you, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm good. It's good to hear your voice. Likewise. Um, yeah. Um, are you, are you, uh, uh, let's talk about where, I mean, I know you're against this bill. I know you voted against it uh, in, in the first instance. I imagine you will in the second, but, but, Talk about uh, talk about how likely you think it is that the compromises can be worked out between the Senate and the House. Uh, we, we've heard lots of different things over the last couple of weeks about where uh, people stand on this issue. Republicans have been in and out of it. Uh, where does it look like it is at, at this moment? Well, it looks as if uh, it is going to pass. Uh, a number of the folks who had some uh, opposition uh, to it in the past uh, – or some questions uh, seem to have been coming out publicly now and saying that they will support this legislation. One is Bob Corker from Tennessee. As you know, he voted against the initial package. He uh, was concerned about the, the deficit, and given the fact that it was going to increase the deficit over 10 years by about $1.5 trillion. Mm -hmm. That package before us uh, does not change that. The, the compromise that they've worked out with the House continues to have a huge deficit of $1.5 trillion, and yet for some reason Bob Car Corker says he'll vote for it now. Yeah. I'm not sure uh, what uh, his rationale was. You'd have to ask him about that, but you have a no vote that has changed to a yes with no apparent change in the concern that he expressed. Uh, you've got Senator Collins, who was concerned about uh, some of the health provisions and to make sure that we can hopefully stabilize uh, some aspects of the Affordable Care Act, which the Trump administration is trying to destabilize, uh, and yet uh, yesterday I understand she came out and said she will support this bill as well. So uh, with uh, those two, uh, it uh, would be difficult uh, to stop it. We probably will be down one vote. Uh, I understand that Senator John McCain has returned to Arizona because of his health issues and will not likely 
be back uh, this week. So uh, it's possible you could have Vice President Pence come in to break a tie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at this point, I think most folks believe the votes are there. And and I've asked a lot of people this question over the last few weeks. Uh, I, I, I want to ask it of you. This is a really unpopular bill uh, for a tax bill, right? Uh, the, usually tax cuts are pretty popular uh, with, with Americans. This bill has not gotten much over, I think, 48 or 49 percent uh, support. There are all these warnings about what it will do to the federal deficit, uh, the, the fact that it may not encourage the kind of uh, of economic growth at the bottom end of the economic spectrum. In other words, that uh, uh, lots of people at the top of, this, of, of the economic ladder will do fine, but but folks in the middle and at the bottom may not benefit. What what do you suspect is the motivation and, and the urgent motivation behind getting this bill passed? What is what is it that Republicans think they're achieving here, and and for whom? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I mean, a couple things. One, the Republicans just believe they have to do something. Now, they have to show that they can get something through Congress. As you know, it's been. A year, and the Trump administration hasn't been able to move any legislation. They talked for many years of repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. and then they realized they had no idea how to actually replace it, and so that went down with failure. So they believe they've got to get something done. Uh, I question that thinking because I think it's important not just to do something, but if you do it, make sure it's actually a good product. Uh, that didn't seem to factor in into this decision. This is not good for middle-class Americans or for those who aspire to be in the middle class. So the tax breaks are all skewed overwhelmingly to the very richest uh, folks uh, in our country and to multinational uh, companies. That may appeal to some key supporters within the Republican Party, and they figure they wanted to give them a very, very large uh, tax cut. But it's simply not uh, good for America. You know, I, I'm a, I've always been in favor of tax reform, that we make it more efficient, we make it uh, fair, and we help spur investment but uh, and make it simpler, make the code simpler. Yeah. Uh, this bill fails on all of those aspects uh, of it. It's certainly not tax reform. Uh, the Republicans should stop talking about reform. This is just basically tax cuts for the very wealthy and multinational companies. And it is apparent uh, that the cuts to multinational companies, which the Republicans argue will spur investment, uh, are actually probably – simply going to spur stack, uh, stock buybacks and larger dividends to shareholders. So if you own stock, which is overwhelmingly in the hands of very wealthy folks in this country, uh, it's a good bill for you, uh, and it's a good bill if you're a CEO. Uh, for the rest of us, uh, maybe not so good. Yeah, yeah. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, uh, and my guest is Senator Gary Peters, a Democrat from right here in Michigan. We're talking about the tax bill that uh, may get voted on by the House as soon as today, a compromise bill between the Senate plan and the House plan. Uh, the Senate may vote as soon as tomorrow on this legislation, which would really reorder the tax system in this country. Uh, everyone who has looked at it says it'll blow a pretty big hole in the federal deficit, more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. It would also give pretty big tax breaks to corporations. Uh, and some tax breaks to the middle class. What do you think about that tax bill? What do you think about the prospect that it may become law in uh, a short order sometime this week? And uh, what do you think about the effects of that tax bill on uh, your bottom line in your household? Is this something that you think you want to see done, or is this something that you worry about uh, in terms of its effect on other things? The number, as always, is 313-577-1019. That's 
1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Also, if you just have a general question for Senator Peters, uh, we're happy to field those as well. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Gary, I also want to talk uh, some about the Russia investigation. Uh, we had some big news a few weeks ago in that investigation, and there now seems to to, to be a return to this jockeying, I guess, uh, over the tenure and status of, of Bob Mueller, who's the uh, the person who's investigating all of this. Uh, catch us up on on where where you are with that, what you think we know at this point, uh, and and what you think is coming, you know, after the new year. Well, I think it's difficult to know what's coming uh, uh, going forward, uh, except that uh, perhaps uh, the administration is very worried about what's coming, which is why they are engaged in very concerted uh, attacks against the FBI generally. You know, a lot of their uh, friends uh, in the uh, in the media, as well as Republican members of the House and Senate, have been attacking the integrity of the FBI, which I uh, find very troublesome. The FBI is a is a very important American institution. The men and women who serve in the FBI, I believe, are patriots and are are serving uh, with distinction and oftentimes put uh, their their life on the line, depending on the work that they're assigned to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has been very systematic attack trying to undermine the credibility of the organization, which tells me somebody is fearful of what's going to be coming out. But we need to stand behind Mr. Mueller, who has uh, a sterling reputation. He has uh, had the highest accolades from both Democrats and Republicans and uh, has served uh, with distinction over many years. Uh, he needs to be given the opportunity to do his investigation and basically let the facts uh, take us uh, where the facts go. Uh, yeah. This uh, should not be a political exercise. This needs to be fact-based by what is, one, a highly reputable individual, as well as a very highly reputable organization, which is uh, the FBI. Yeah. So we, we will need to see. Uh, we're certainly going to stand strong and say uh, that we're going to protect Mr. Mueller and his ability to do the investigation in an unbiased, fair way. Uh, in my mind, uh, American democracy demands it. Yeah. Uh, so you put the tax bill, the unpopular tax bill, together with the Russia investigation, which I think has raised a lot of questions in Americans' minds about what happened in 2016, even though we don't know the answers to those questions yet. Uh, a lot of people say that portends for a pretty big uh, Democratic year in 2018. Of course, it's a midterm year, which means uh, all of the House of Representatives is up. Uh, a third of the Senate will be uh, on the ballot. Um, uh, give me a sense of what you think uh, is, is going to sort of uh, shape that political year. Uh, also, give me uh, your sense of how Doug Jones joining the Senate from Alabama, first Democrat from that state in 25 years. Uh, what's, uh, what do you think? What do you think about those prospects? Does this does this give Democrats a wind at their backs? Well, certainly, uh, I do believe that um, folks are very motivated to be engaged in the political process uh, to a level that I haven't seen in a long, long time, particularly Democrats and particularly folks who are not happy with uh, the direction that the Trump administration is taking uh, this country. So I would 
expect that to carry through to 2018. You know, the, the results uh, in Virginia as well, uh, where the Democrats uh, came out in numbers, although that's a state that tends to lead, or lean Democratic. Uh, the fact that there was such a huge outpouring and record turnout uh, bodes very well for a midterm election, which tends to have lower turnout than you get in a presidential election. We saw that in Alabama as well. Certainly, uh, the Republicans had a a seriously flawed candidate uh, uh, that they put before the voters of Alabama. But if you look at the turnout numbers there as well, Republican turnout was down, and Democratic uh, turnout was uh, at all-time high in Alabama. So I, I would uh, expect that enthusiasm to continue, particularly if we continue to see the Trump administration doing what they're doing uh, with this, uh, as you mentioned, uh, which is accurate, a very unfavorable tax policy that helps folks at the very top uh, in multinational corporations, uh, but not everybody else. And what this will inevitably lead to, and I think you're taking this topic up later from uh, the opening that I heard, was that when you have a $1.5 trillion deficit as a result of this tax bill, we're going to hear the Republicans next saying they need to cut Social Security cut, yeah. and cut Medicare and go after programs that are absolutely vital to people in this country. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we had a caller, Colleen, who could not stay on the line, who says, what can citizens do to stop this tax bill? She says she feels helpless. Uh, what, what can people do? Well, the vote hasn't occurred yet, so it's in the House right now. So uh, any of your listeners, uh, if they feel strongly about this issue, I would encourage them to Call their local member of uh, the U.S. House. Call their member of Congress. Call them, call them as soon as you can, and get your friends to call as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the things that's sort of interesting about this is you've got this very powerful Republican majority in Washington. They have the presidency. They have majorities in both houses of Congress. Uh, but you have a lot of people who I think feel like maybe they're headed the wrong direction, but. They're represented by Democrats or they're represented by a Republican in a district where they have no chance to, to meet out any consequences for that for that representative. I mean, there, there's sort of a dissonance, I guess, between what seems to be going on in Washington and what we're hearing from from most people in the public. Well, there is a uh, frustration, particularly if you're in a, uh, a heavily gerrymandered district. Uh, and that uh, your, your question, I think, opens up to broader reforms we need to do in the process to make sure that everybody does have an equal voice when it comes to the folks who represent them uh, in Washington. You know, I was uh, encouraged that I saw that the, uh, the independent grassroots campaign that is putting redistricting reform on the ballot uh, has a record number of signatures that they've uh, submitted uh, in Lansing, and we'll hopefully get that on the ballot. So... We certainly need to make sure that moves forward, that one vote really means uh, a voice. Uh, one vote is uh, is valuable uh, in your districts. But in the meantime, I would not uh, in any way discourage anybody from getting on the phone or emailing their local rep, uh, whether Democratic or Republican. But I also think you need to continue to engage broader support uh, from your friends and coworkers. That means posting on social media, posting stories about what's happening, you know, folks uh, need to be actively engaged uh, in politics. And if all through this process we get more people who understand that elections really do matter, being active in politics really does matter, uh, then uh, that will be positive for democracy. But if we throw up our hands and believe that we are powerless, so then those who are uh, engaged in activities that undermine democracy will win, and we cannot and must not let that happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I want to ask you a little about uh, chip funding too. Uh, that's another issue that uh, that's hanging out there. That's not 
particularly going the way that uh, that Democrats want it to go. Uh, talk about where we are with with that. Well, CHIP is uh, funding for uh, children's health programs, and uh, it has expired. Uh, it's expired a few weeks ago. Uh, that'll put a real crimp on programs that provide health care services uh, to children. A number of states have already announced that they're uh, going to be cutting off some of those services uh, very shortly. So it's something that has to get done. It's frustrating because it has traditionally always received very bipartisan support. In fact, the bill came out of committee with bipartisan support. But the Republican leadership simply haven't put it on the floor. If they put it on the floor for a vote, it will pass. Uh, But for some reason, uh, they are unwilling to do that. So as Democrats, uh, we are pushing very hard to get a vote on it. Uh, We're also pushing, perhaps, as we deal with... uh, The funding of the government, which is the other big issue uh, this week, as you know, if we do not pass uh, a spending uh, resolution uh, by Friday, uh, the federal government shuts down. And we're hoping that in that critical piece of legislation, a very must-pass piece of legislation like the Children's Health Care will be put into it. So that's part of our negotiations. Uh, Unfortunately, right now, the Republicans seem to be so focused on this tax break for the wealthy and big corporations that... They're not thinking about anything else, uh, and it's uh, extremely unfortunate because you're talking about children's health care. You are. It should be a priority. And and one of the things that I worry about is that there's some sort of political strategy at play here, right? They're holding that back in order to extract something else, maybe from members of their own party. In other words, uh, help us get this tax bill through, and we can talk about children's health care, which is a pretty dark calculation, uh, it seems to me, if that's if that's what's going on. Well, uh, you should always uh, always realize that any kind of uh, important piece of legislation, there's an awful lot of uh, negotiation. <laughs> Horse train, in, right? Uh, in the fact that if they could use that as a leverage point, I would not doubt that they are using it as a leverage point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's take one more quick call before we end the segment here. Joyce in Detroit. Joyce, welcome to Detroit today. Hello. Hello, Joyce. Hi. Uh, I'm concerned about the money debt. The people, the upper, you know, one percent of the people, one percent of our population, who have all this money, taking it out of the country and stashing it someplace else, and, the, and even if they do anything here, it wouldn't. They probably wouldn't use any of that money to help anybody because what they're doing, they're not even really paying taxes here in the United States. They're shipping all that money away. Right. And, you know, defunding CHIP, I just, that's just, just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, Joyce, I, I appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, Gary, talk about this. This One of the things, one of the conceits, I guess, behind the idea of this tax bill is that it will encourage corporations to, to as they say, repatriate uh, some some of the money that they have overseas that it make by lowering the rate, they won't be concerned about sending it offshore. That's a theory, of course. Uh, I'm not sure how that will play out in practice, but I'm, I'm curious what you th- if you think uh, this is a part of the bill that's actually a good thing, uh, the, the idea of trying to encourage that money to come back into the, into the United States. Well, uh, if that is indeed what companies uh, would do with the money if they bring it back home and then invest it in plant equipment and, and training for their workers, uh, those kinds of long-term investments, that'd be positive. Uh, but there are no guarantees that'll happen. In fact, past history has told us that that will not occur, uh, that companies will take this money in and use it for other purposes. Uh, it's not going to go to investment. And 
fact, it's interesting. We had uh, Janet Yellen, the chair of the Federal Reserve, before my committee, my Joint Economic Committee, and one of the Republicans asked her about this uh, money and increased investment, and she actually discounted it and said, uh, you know, a lot of academic work has been done in that area, and they find uh, really no correlation between these tax cuts and increased uh, investment. And then when it came my turn uh, to ask her the question, I said, you know, given the fact that we don't really have evidence of that occurring, maybe we should just ask CEOs what they're going to do or listen to what the CEOs are going to do with this money. And they've actually been very honest. They've been very candid. In fact, that morning uh, that she was before our committee, Bloomberg did a story, and they had a number of CEOs from major corporations quoted, which all said they're going to use this money for uh, share buybacks. Right. They're going to increase payouts uh, to shareholders. They're not going to uh, invest the money. In fact, there was a meeting with uh, with the advisor for the White House um, in front of a bunch of CEOs. It was on video. And he asked, how many of you are going to invest this in plant and equipment? And only two hands, I think, went up out of over 200 uh, CEOs that were in the room. So this money is not going to be used for that purpose. It's going to be used uh, for share buybacks, which is great if you're a CEO or a large shareholder. Right. And uh, that's uh, not the way that we should be crafting tax policy to actually further a very important uh, aim for this economy, which is uh, making sure that we're investing in long-term investments that help workers, and that's plant equipment and training, yeah. as well as increasing wages. Yeah. Okay. U.S. Senator Gary Peters, Democrat from here in Michigan, it's always great to talk to you here on Detroit Today. Always good to be with you, Stephen. Take yeah. care. You too. Have a great holiday. Up next, we're going to talk with Michigan State University economist Charles Ballard about the tax overhaul and what it might mean here in Michigan. What will it do to Medicaid or Medicare or other programs that people really count on? Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking this hour about the tax bill in Washington, which may get voted on by the House today, the compromise bill between the U.S. House and the Senate. Uh, And the Senate could vote as soon as tomorrow on the legislation, which would send it to the president's desk. It includes major tax breaks for corporations. Uh, It includes some tax breaks aimed at the middle class. Those are set to expire after a few years. And everyone who has looked at the plan has agreed that it's going to blow a pretty big hole in the federal deficit, more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. We're talking about what effect that will have on people nationally, but also we're going to talk about what it'll do to people here in Michigan. And joining us now to talk about that effect uh, is Charles Ballard. He's a Michigan State University economist, joins us from time to time to talk about economic issues. Charlie, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Absolutely. And as always, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us how you think this tax bill will affect you. What will it do in your household? What will it do for your income? What will it do for your investments and savings? Uh, Do you believe that uh, cutting taxes like this might 
inspire your employer, for instance, to raise your wages. Some of the things that Republicans are saying are going to happen. And do you worry about the deficit? Do you think that expanding the federal deficit by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade is a good idea? What effect would that have? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones, as always. 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work your comments back into the conversation. So, Charlie, I want to start with you. Let's let's talk about how this uh, plan will affect the average Michigander, for instance. Well, the average Michigander, I think, will be affected very, very little because the vast majority of the um, tax breaks go to either very wealthy individuals or those with very high incomes, especially if they have a lot of their um, income in the form of ownership of stocks. If you if you have a big stock market portfolio, this um, tax plan, which is mostly a, corp- a cut in the corporate tax rate, that's that's the the centerpiece of it. Um, probably stocks will go up faster than they would otherwise have gone up. But most people don't have a great big stock market portfolio. The average household, some will have a small tax increase. Most will have a small tax cut, but it's not going to um, make that much difference to your ultimate tax bill. One thing that, that will happen is right now about the top third of uh, households itemize their taxes. Uh, they itemize their deductions. Because of the increase in the standard deduction, uh, most of those households, which are sort of middle and upper middle class, most of them will find that it's no longer in their interest. It's no longer an advantage to them to itemize their deductions. And so they will just take the standard deduction. And that is a simplification. Those families won't have to spend those weekends in March and April hunting down their uh, receipts for their charitable contributions. Um, But most folks, it's not going to make a big difference because it's so heavily weighted toward those at the top. Yeah. Um, uh, What should we make of this big hole that uh, this threatens to blow in in the deficit? I mean, uh, Republicans have spent a long time talking about the dangers of deficits and the consequences of deficits. Now they say, hmm, don't worry about it. Growth, growth, even though it shows that it won't take care of it, uh, it's more important. That growth is more important than, than the deficit. Are they right? Uh, well, it, one important question to ask is, will this do anything to stimulate additional growth? And uh, Senator Peters a, a moment ago was making the very good point that um, there's been a change in corporate culture. Uh, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, I think it was true that a lot of CEOs, if they got an extra pile of money, their first instinct would be to invest in some productive, uh, you know, build a factory, design some new product. Now the first instinct of an awful lot of CEOs is either share buybacks to pump up the price or additional dividends to their shareholders or to look for mergers and acquisitions to buy other companies. Of course, none of those increases the productive capacity of the economy. Um, all they do is they, they move money around, but they don't grow the economy. So there is a real question about whether we'll get any additional growth. Moreover, uh, basic macroeconomics tells you that the time for a 
tax cut. The time for a fiscal stimulus is when the economy is in trouble. And that's why we had a fiscal stimulus in 2009, and it was successful. The, the, deep, the Great Recession was not as deep as it would have been without the fiscal stimulus. But now we're at or very near to full employment. Um, the ability to juice the economy further is, is uh, very, uh, very limited at, at this point, I think. Uh, also, you have to take into account that the Federal Reserve is going to be watching this very closely. And if they believe that by having the Congress and the President stomp on the accelerator when we're already uh, growing, they might uh, react to that by raising interest rates further than they, uh, further and faster than they would otherwise have yeah. done, and and that would further limit the ability of this to to increase growth. So I, I think what's going on is the uh, proponents of this policy are, are doing it because they want to put more money in the hands of the top one percent, but that's not a good campaign slogan. And right. so they have to talk about, okay, we're going to stimulate growth. This is going to help the average citizen, even though the evidence for that is pretty pretty slim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Charlie Ballard. He's a Michigan State University economist. We are talking about <clears throat> the tax bill in Washington uh, trying to be reconciled between the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate. The House may vote t- today, as soon as today, on a compromise bill between the two chambers. The Senate is uh, scheduled to vote as soon as tomorrow on that legislation, which would send it to the president's desk. The legislation would include major tax breaks for corporations, some tax breaks for the middle class, but it would also blow a pretty big hole in the deficit. What do you think about that tax bill? What do you think about the compromises that are being made in Washington? What do you think about the effect of those uh, those items in the tax bill on you here in the state of Michigan? Is this going to make things easier for you in your household better, or is it going to make things worse? Also, give us a call and talk about the proposed, or the ideas at least, uh, to cut into Social programs like Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, things that people depend on uh, in order to pay for this tax bill. Are you willing to do that? Would you make cuts to Medicaid? Would you be willing to make cuts to Medicare or reshape Social Security in order to pay for tax cuts? Uh, The number on the phones always is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Um, uh, I want to ask you, Charlie, about uh, this this idea of cutting. Uh, lots of people always say they will cut, right, in Washington. Um, uh, Republicans promise that all the time. Never seems to really pan out that way. Threatening to cut Social Security or Medicare, or Medicaid is an entirely different uh, kind of promise to make in in Washington, far more uh, uh, dangerous, uh, I think, politically. But give me your sense of of what they're talking about and how likely it is to actually happen. You know, it's very difficult to to forecast how this is going to pan out. But I think Paul Ryan's vision, the vision of many of the Republican leadership, is of a um, a much less generous social safety net than we have now. Um, 
because they're, they have a very high priority on tax reduction. And if you reduce taxes, you're either going to have bigger deficits or you're going to have to cut something. And if you look at the federal budget, um, about 90% of it is in either Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, national defense, or interest on the national debt, or things like federal reti- imp- retirement programs for federal employees. Um, the other stuff, you know, the Drug Enforcement Administration, the FBI, the, the national parks, the uh, National Science Foundation, those are only a small fraction of the budget. So the, where is the money? It's in Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. It's also in defense, which many of the folks who are uh, voting for this tax cut would like to increase defense spending, which if they succeed in that, that would further increase uh, budget deficits. Yeah. And then the last category is interest on the national debt. Well, I sure hope we don't default on our uh, interest payments on our debt because that would be a catastrophe in the in the financial market so um you know it's it's easy to talk about how we're going to cut the federal government and one thing that's very interesting is if you ask the average citizen what do you think about government they'll say oh i don't like government and then you say well what about social security oh well you can't cut social security that's that's there's this disconnect between the idea of this bad thing called government and the programs that the government actually has which pay for people's health care, people pay for people's retirement, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 on the phones, 313-577-1019. Let's go to Brian in Detroit. Brian, welcome uh, to good, Detroit today. Uh, thank you. Good morning. Yeah, go ahead. All right. I'm uh, 57 years old, and I'm looking at the way this, this, this uh, new tax bill or law or whatever is uh, situated, and by the time I turn 67, in 10 years, that'll be the time when they'll be trying to renegotiate Social Security and mm-hmm. all those kind of things that I'll be looking forward to getting <laughs> after paying into them for six, uh, 50 years, right. you know? Right. Uh, Brian, you know, I'm, I'm about 10 years younger than you, but, uh, but you know, uh, I, I fear the same thing, right? That, that I'm paying into a system that is promising me one thing, and then when I get to retirement age, may give me something something else. And I, you know, I, I think that's the reason that this this should be political, uh, you know, dynamite, dynamite or kryptonite in in Washington. That that you're messing with people's retirement plans, you're messing with people's expectations. Still, uh, mm-hmm. Republicans keep seem uh, hell bent on on on. Uh, dealing with these things, Charlie. Uh, what what would you say to someone like Brian, or like me about uh, about you know the, the the money we're paying in, uh, and whether the the benefit that we're told will be there uh, will actually will actually pan out? Well, um, the Social Security system uh, ever since the '30s, it's been designed as a pay-as-you-go system. What happens? is uh, the, the money that I'm putting in now doesn't go into an account with my name on it. Rather, it goes into a complicated formula that will eventually lead to benefits when I retire. Mm-hmm. But basically, the money that I'm paying now is paying for the retirements of my parents' generation, just like the money that they paid in was paying for the retirements of my grandparents' generation. And then what I hope is that my children, their their taxes will pay for something for for me 
Um, but the system, uh, anytime you have a system like that, it's possible to have it out of, out of balance. And in fact, the Social Security system is not in long run balance, if, at least under, the, under our expectations of how fast the economy will grow. We've promised people more then the taxes that we say we were we are going to raise will, will be sufficient. We'll pay, pay for, for, right? Yeah. And, and so, and so, you know, something is going to have to give eventually. Now we know from history um, that in 1983 the system was about to go under. Uh, checks were uh, we we got to about seven weeks from the time when checks would have bounced, and um, that immediate crisis forced Congress to act, and they made a bunch of changes that ensured the solvency of the system for, well, it's still solvent, and that was uh, 35 years ago. Uh, It's likely to be okay for another 30 years. Now, the smart thing would be if we would make chisel around the edges of the system, maybe some higher taxes, maybe some changes to the benefit formula. Um, Now, so that we could smooth that transition over time. History suggests that what will happen is that Congress will do nothing until there's a crisis in 2043 or whenever that comes, mm-hmm. and then they'll have to do something. For me, I've, my wife and I have been blessed to have good jobs. We have a good retirement portfolio. And honestly, uh, if I were to make changes to the system, I w- if I were to tweak it, one of the first places that I would tweak it would be to reduce somewhat the Social Security payments to those who are who are affluent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My main concern, you know, it's an amazing thing that we spend getting on close to a trillion a year on Social Security, and yet we have three million senior citizens who are below the poverty line. Right. If it were up to me, I would tweak it in the direction of helping those with the lowest incomes more than those at the top. But, of course, that is a difficult political uh, wrangle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, thanks very much for the call there, Brian. Uh, Mike in Chesterfield. Mike, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good, good. I I just want to say, first and foremost, although we disagree politically, I do support you and your uh, troubles recently. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm glad to be still be. Yeah, I'm glad to still be here on the air with uh, WDET. So I I really appreciate that support. Um, Go ahead with um, your question. Oh yeah, sorry. First off, I wanted to point out that's not a question, but rather an important uh, statement on the fact that the most important uh, critical aspect of the deficit isn't so much what we have right now, but rather what we have in the future. We have $150 trillion in the unfunded debt liabilities through Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and other sort of premises, but also in the aspect of if we don't solve the problem at the current moment in time, the interest rates will eat away more and more of that budget because it's mandatory spending. And things that we like that aren't mandatory spending, things like defense, like NASA, like the EPA, like all the other departments of the government, they will be thrown to the side because that mandatory spending is, uh, is forced onto the budget. And there are several um, things that need to happen in order to solve that problem. Payroll tax reform is one, as well as um, something more or less uh, cutting the spending in a less harmful way. One idea is the penny plan, which is every year reduce the federal government by 1%. If you continue to do that, within three to five years, the deficit does get solved in the short term. 
However, I do ask that everyone listening go to the um, Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget website. Uh, the CRFD has um, games and simulators that allow every average day citizen um, to <laughs> actually solve the problems. Themselves. Right. Yeah, no, the, I've seen that website, Mike, uh, and that it is interesting to, to sort of monkey around with the the numbers and see how you might uh, solve some of these problems. Mike, I really appreciate uh, the call uh, and the comments. Charlie, I'll, I'll give you last word on, uh, on, on, on this whole thing. Well, it, it's true that the explicit deficit, which I'm very concerned about because, you know, the debt held by the public is now in the ballpark of $15 trillion. It was slated to increase by another several trillion in the next decade, even without this tax cut. Now that will cause it to grow even more. That's only a part of the picture. It's true, as the caller says, uh, that there's also the unfunded liability of Social Security and uh, and Medicare. And um, I would add it's a sort of a implicit unfunded liability that we're allowing our infrastructure to crumble. Uh, and so those are all long-term concerns. Now, the number that the... Um, caller tossed out 150 trillion that's that's much higher than most estimates of the the total of the long-term liability but it's big uh and what we've had for a generation is we've put off tough decisions um about really preparing for the future and as i look at my grandchildren i i want us to undertake policies that would address these long-term issues so that they don't inherit a world where they've got crumbling infrastructure and a whole bunch of debts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlie Ballard, uh, Michigan State University economist, always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks. Thank you. All right, have a great holiday. Up next, we'll talk about the future of Medicaid and Medicare after Republicans pass their tax. Marianne Udow will be here next. Stay with us on Detroit Today and stay with us on the phones. Colleen and McComb, Carolyn and Royal Oak, we will get to you. Thank you.